The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus, with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey friends, and welcome to yet another edition of Afternoons with Mike, heard daily here on the Shepherd Radio Network. Got a couple of fun guests lined up for you today. Seth Johnson from Main Street Daily News up in Gainesville. Main Street Daily News is a sister organization to The Shepherd, and we love that uh, newspaper. It is now also in print edition, and Seth has a couple of stories that he's recently worked on I think you're going to find very interesting. In the third segment today, I'll be talking to Dr. Roland Roberts II, who is a candidate already declared candidate for the presidency of the United States for the 2024 election. So um, that means he's up running against Donald J. Trump in the Republican primary. So we'll be talking to him coming up in just a little bit. But first of all, Seth Johnson's all queued up on the line. Hey, buddy, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you doing, Mike? All right. It's so great to have you on. I know you and I get to bump into each other occasionally up in the Gainesville studios up there where we share offices in that uh, particular building. Uh, first of all, tell me where you're from, Seth. I know I don't think you're from Gainesville originally, are you? No, I'm not. I grew up mostly in Indiana and came down to Gainesville for this job back in 2021. That's what I was thinking. Now, what part of Indiana? Muncie, Indiana. Muncie. Okay. You know, I was born in Evansville, Indiana. So the southern part of the state. Uh, so I'm a Hoosier as well. Yeah. Good to meet a fellow Hoosier here in Florida. Yeah, right. There's plenty of us. Believe me, I, I found this to be true. I don't know if it's your experience or not, but people in Indiana love to vacation in Florida. That's their number one spot. You hear people desiring to move uh, to Florida from Indiana? I've found that to be true. Has that been your experience? Absolutely. I think anywhere in the Midwest, people like to get down to Florida from time to time for the sunshine and the beaches. Yeah, um, that's right. And all of that before we became now known as the great American, uh, the great free state of Florida in America. And so it's mm-hmm. it's more true now than ever. And I think people from New York are taking that up uh, for their own lives as well, because we're getting a lot of people from the Northeast moving down to Florida these days. Now, you've uh, mo- how long have you been in Florida from Indiana? It's been a year and maybe 10 months now, so since June of 2021. Okay. So you kind of came down here after your education, right? Yep. I graduated and got this job at Main Street. I knew the publisher here from an internship and just Came on down and got started. So that'd be JC. So you did an internship with what, World? Yes, with World Magazine. Oh, man, that's the way to learn, huh? It was. It was fantastic. An internship and went through their World Journalism Institute course. I had a great time and met some uh, great journalists there. Well, JC Derrick, uh, he offices right here in the same building with us. Uh, in Orlando, but it spends a lot of his time as well in Gainesville. So it's really great that you knew him and that got to work with him. He is one fine guy. Yes, absolutely. It's been great learning from him, and he makes his trips up to Gainesville, and we get to talk here in the offices as well. Well, tell me quickly about uh, your background. How did you come up to know the Lord? Were you brought up in a church, uh, in, as a church family growing up in Indiana? Yeah, so both my parents are Christians, so I grew up you know, in the church since I was uh, a baby. So it's always been part, you know, of my week and of my family. Um, moved up to Indiana when I was in the fourth grade. And uh, shortly thereafter, in around junior high, you know, um, the Lord really began to press on my heart. You know, I had a confession baptism when I was really little. Um, but, you know, some of those details really started to fade. And I just kind of felt this pressure on, uh, you know, the Lord just weighing on me to, really be serious about it and to revisit it. So I uh, did and, you know, got saved after a youth group on a Wednesday night and just have uh, continued down that path. Oh, that's wonderful. Man, that's great. So glad to know that you found the Lord. And as a young man, you're, what, 24 now. And uh, as I had mentioned to you before we began uh, this uh, interview, oh, to be 24 again, huh? 
<laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah, I'll enjoy it while I'm, while I'm here. <laughs> enjoy it while you can because it passes by rather quickly, my friend. That's just great. I was 24 when my first child was born. And um, I, I'm not going to, that was a long time ago. Let me just say that. that. That was a long time ago. Well, that was in 1977. I can do it that way. So you get to do the math, folks. And uh, man, that's just amazing. So, Seth, you are a, a reporter for the Main Street Daily News. That website, friends, if you'd like to check it out, it's called MainStreetDailyNews.com. And Seth is uh, one of the feature writers. You do a lot of reporting, uh, hard news. You do what would be fun, fun news. Uh, that's what I love about Main Street. You have such a great, uh, just a palette of stories on that uh, website. It's MainStreetDailyNews.com. Uh, one of the big stories, because it is a big story in Gainesville, and that was the recent new president uh, at UF. I know that uh, Ken Fox was there, and he resigned, turned in his notice, uh, wanted to be a professor, which I think he is now still doing. I think he's still on staff uh, as a professor at UF. So they were in the big hunt for a new president and a, a kind of a shocking uh, candidate suddenly went on the radar and won great approval by all of the board. So tell us about the new president. Right. President Ben Sass, he's U.S. 13th president following Kent Fox. And uh, he's obviously very well known as a senator from Nebraska. He yes. just won his second term as their senator back in 2020. Now, what was uh, it like to do this story on him and kind of fill in in case a lot of our, maybe our listeners in other cities who aren't following the UF news as closely as everybody there in Gainesville would be doing? I, I know that there were a lot of, uh, maybe maybe not a lot, but some a criticism that was brought up toward the end about about him in uh, particular about becoming the president. So what did you uncover about that? All right. Obviously, U.S. has a big impact on Gainesville. The whole city kind of surrounds it, kind of forms the center there. And a lot of uh, the citizens, you know, U.S. grads are very well connected with the university. So anything that happens on U.S. is a big deal in Gainesville across Alachua County. Right. But uh, going into the story, you know, you don't really know what's going to come out. It was announced at the very beginning of October that Ben Sass would be the sole finalist for the position. So I did a write-up then based on that press release, but wasn't really aware of, you know, the growing sentiment among many students who uh, were very concerned with his political career as a Republican. And eight days after they announced he would be the sole candidate, um, ben Sass has first visit to UF campus to host three different forums for students and for faculty and staff. And that's kind of when the story broke. Uh, 300 protesters showed up holding signs, you know, shouting in their chants, and they kind of entered the building uh, where the forums were taking place and kind of just brought it all to a standstill. And so that's really when uh, a lot of organizations from Gainesville and really international or national media outlets began covering it. You know, when I would hear some of that on some of the other outlets, uh, nationally speaking, uh, I would have wondered if that wasn't going to be the uh, straw that broke the camel's back that might make uh, Senator Sass say, yeah, I need to rethink this. And it seemed that while like there was going to be a formidable objection to his coming, but that didn't turn out to be, he wasn't swayed at all by that, right? No, he didn't appear to be. And the Board of Trustees uh, also didn't appear to be swayed by it. He had unanimous approval from them. And um, like you said, there were some um, concerns brought up. Some students had signs saying, you know, they thought he would be a Governor Ron DeSantis puppet here at U.S. Other people were concerned about his stances on China and international students and how um, him being president would affect, you know, international recruitment. Um, others were concerned, you know, about his credentials, you know, his past experience, you know, running uh, universities. So some of those cropped up, um, you know, perhaps had some substance to them. Others were kind of some uh, fear there, but certainly a, a big, uh, a lot of people showed up that meeting. 
It sounds like it. And, you know, you cover these stories and not just about UF, not just about Ben Sass, uh, who, uh, again, is the new president now and really resigned his position there as a senator. And a lot of people would, would wonder about that, like what his motivations are. What did what did you find out in your study? What did you find out about why maybe the real reason why he wanted this thing? Right. Well, a lot of people were concerned he would bring politics to U.S. more so than U.S. involved in Florida politics. But um, Sass really said, you know, I took this job. I'm really excited to step back from politics. I think he's reached a point in his career where he kind of wanted to step back and work on something else besides all the big political issues and back and forth that he got there in Washington, D.C. And he also mentioned as a U.S. senator, he gets lots of requests, speaking requests and requests to, you know, lead different institutions across the country. And he said none of them really attracted his attention until U.S. And when U.S. came, he was interested and started those talks. And he called U.S. Um, the most interesting institution in the most economically dynamic state. So I think he saw stuff with U.S. and with what's happening in Florida as an opportunity to really create something and to be in the middle of some interesting forces and dynamics. You know, Seth, I hear this all the time from people who are looking at Florida and maybe even uh, wishing they were in Florida because maybe more so in Florida than any other state in the U.S. right now, the eyes of the world are looking at at how well uh, things are going. Uh, I think politically speaking, um, we've got a, a strong leadership that seems to be backing the governor. Uh, we've got a, a freedom that a lot of states really don't have right now. Uh, we have a, a, a vibrant economy down here that a lot of people are really enjoying. A lot of uh, opportunities for growth. That's why people are moving here from other states. You know, when you consider all of those things, it's no wonder that uh, Senator Sass would be like maybe happy to be in Florida, right? Right. There's more than just sunshine down here. There's uh, <laughs> definitely a lot of interesting factors. Absolutely. I think you're right. Uh, you know, when you, you were talking a while ago about that kind of um, uh, the, a contingency at those meetings that were interrupted, you have covered a lot of stories, even at the county council, the city commission, etc. There's, It's not uncommon to have people who are protesters up. Was there ever a sense at any of these meetings that you would have been personally concerned about, let's say, safety or how this thing was coming down? No, I don't think I was ever concerned about my safety at these protests. And I think that's, you know, the balance between a peaceful protest and something that kind of gets out of control. And you know, I would say it was unexpected for me. You never know what's going to happen. These people gathered outside and then they say, all right, let's go inside and mm-hmm. know what's going to happen next. And you kind of join the crowd and you try and go inside with them. And uh, they were chanting completely covered the two staircases going up to the second floor where the meeting was going on. And I mean, there were students and signs all along those stairs as they were uh, chanting. Um, I mean, one of them was, hey, hey, ho, ho, Ben Sass has got to go, you know, and kind of interrupting the meeting. But I never felt personally unsafe. And you have had um, police officers there from the University of Florida Police, you know, but they stood on the sidelines by the walls. You know, they never had to you know, restrain anyone. The protesters didn't get in their faces. They were there to shout what they wanted to shout, and um, they did. Mm. So what would be the outcome uh, after, let's say, the uh, committee, they they listened to all of this. I'm sure they took all of that into stride and into consideration. But at, at one point, they made the decision that they were not going to withdraw their invitation. They were not going to withdraw the job offer to Senator Sass. He, and obviously he took the job. Uh, what happened to that that complaining, that group after that? Right. So this was back in October when this first protest with around 300 people. And then on November 1st, he was confirmed by the Board of Trustees. And then on November 9th, the Board of Governors approved uh, Ben Sass almost unanimously as Tropical Storm Nicole was coming in back in November. And so then Ben Sass, took the position on February 6th. And actually on his first day in office, uh, another group of protesters around smaller, around 100 or so, uh, showed up you know, where his office are to kind of have their list of demands and uh, wanting to speak to him as he was coming in. 
And I think the same thing, you know, they enter the building, they tape some of their demands to the to his door and um, kind of show that they were still not happy about some things or wanted to bring some things to his attention as he was coming into office on mm-hmm. changes they would like to see and commitments from him. Do you think things have settled down on this front now? I think so. Since that February 6th when he took office, you know, there haven't been any um, large uh, protest or anything like that. Um, you know, I'm sure different students, a lot of them still have uh, concerns, and a lot of students maybe never showed up, and they were perfectly fine with Ben Sass waiting to see what he would actually do before they kind of uh, reached a conclusion. So I think it has calmed down as he's taken the role, and he hasn't been uh, very active since taking that role. You know, um, I think he's learning. There's a lot to learn about UF, not only it's uh, facilities here in Gainesville, but I mean, they have UF ISIS in every county of the state. So uh, he said, you know, the first 12 months is going to be a lot of learning, not really a lot of action that people are going to be talking about. When you are looking at his life and his uh, resume, what stands out to you about Ben Sass that would make you think, yeah, this guy's going to be a great president for UF? Well, I think he does have a history of uniting people. He mentioned you know, during one of his hearings, um, when he was elected to the Senate, that was his first time holding elected office. You know, he didn't start as a city commissioner or a state senator. You know, he went in and got a, that high-level job right off the bat by uniting, you know, those uh, his constituents. And I think that that's a mark of a good leader. I mean, hopefully he can do the same here at UF, you know, uniting what could be different factions to uh, rally behind him and behind the Gators as a whole. Um, he's definitely a, a historian by you know, training, and I think that brings a unique perspective. He's not a career politician in that way, and he's written um, two books You know, that kind of dissect American politics right now, um, one, The Vanishing American Adult, and another, Them, Why We Hate Each Other and How They Heal. So he's definitely been studying in this space on opposing forces and how to work together. You know, before he left uh, and became the president at UF, a lot of people were looking at him as like a, maybe an, a, a future presidential candidate. You know, I mentioned that we're going to have a presidential candidate in segment three today. But, uh, you know, they were looking at Ben Sass because of his character, because of his leadership. And he was being spoken of as a potential future leader. Do you think that could ever happen in his life? Anything you found that would ever say, yeah, I'm going to do this for a while, but I might be back, anything like that? I mean, you never know. Crazy things have happened in American politics, I'm sure, over the last 200 years. Uh, He definitely stood out in the Republican Party, and, I mean, he mentioned in his confirmation hearings um, how he differed from his own party and how he kind of takes a nuanced stance on things. And, you know, that could be uh, a benefit going into a presidential run or, you know, that could hurt going into a presidential run. It just depends, I think. But um, that possibility, I'm sure, is still there in the future. Well, we'll see. Time will tell. I'm talking today to Seth Johnson from Main Street Daily News. We'll be back with him in a moment. Got an interesting discussion coming up on the United Methodist Church. You don't want to miss it. It's coming up in just a moment on Afternoons with Mike right here on The Shepherd. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years' experience, EC Waters is a top-trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. 
Back again here with segment two on the program today. And on the line with me is Seth Johnson. He's a reporter for the Main Street Daily News, a sister company to Mark Radio. And they're based in Gainesville. And they cover a lot of that whole Alachua County area, uh, beyond Alachua County, actually, Gilcrest and all of the other surrounding counties, even down to Marion County. And uh, doing a great job, uh, everything I'm hearing about it, you guys are just knocking it dead in uh, Gainesville. So congratulations on that, Seth. Well, thank you, Mike. So I, I got to know, what is it that you love about being a writer, a reporter? What is it that really caught your fancy? Yeah, I mean, I always say reporter, just because when I say writer, it sounds like I'm coming up with stuff out of my own head. But, you know, I really report on stuff that's already going on. And I love just the diversity that's out there. You know, one week I'm talking about a city commission meeting and some, you know, new policy or new project they're trying to put in place. The next week I'm traveling at the start to sit through a, you know, lawsuit hearing, which we'll be talking about in a bit, you know, but then I also get to cater to some of my interests. So I've done several stories on birding in Alachua County or, you know, there's a new play at the Hippodrome Theater, you know, get to go down there and talk to you know the director. It just really lets you learn about a lot, which is a really big interest of mine. So you have a lot of diversity in your reporting. And, you know, I've never really considered that, what you just said about the difference between being a writer and a reporter. I've always just kind of thought that a reporter is writing on current events things as opposed to, I do a column in the Main Street Daily News, and it's always on faith-based things. But uh, I get what you're talking about. When you're following the story, so to speak, uh, it can go down many different path- pathways, and uh, you, you get a, a lot of different uh, kind of themes and subjects to write about, right? Yeah, for sure. I've gotten to learn a lot, and I'm definitely a general assignment reporter, you know, anything from arts to education to, you know, local government, but... It's always, you know, something that's happening, not something I'm making happen. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned birding. If I heard you right, what is it about that that you really love? <laughs> I just love, again, the diversity, uh, getting to go out, walk around, see a bird, and figure out exactly what species it is. It can be a challenge sometimes, and you just never know what you're going to uh, encounter. You know, when I moved down to Florida, and I'm sure you found the same thing since you're from Indiana as well, the birds we have in Florida are so different than what we had in Indiana, right? They're very different. So many more waterfowl and just all kinds of uh, diversity. Again, you know, Florida is one of the best states for birding. So many come through on the different migration patterns. So it's great, great for me. I'm loving it. Uh, with uh, the egrets and even the eagles that we have down here, it's uh, we have hawks occasionally in our neighborhood that land on the fence right outside our window. And he's a majestic, uh, big old brown tipped uh, feathered hawk. He's gorgeous. And I, I like that myself. Uh, don't see too many owls, but every now and then you'll see one of those as well. And it's it's always crazy. You never know what you're going to see in Florida. And, and sometimes I've seen roaches that I think are about as big as birds. So that's kind of interesting too, but that's... I digress. <laughs> Let's, we better get back to the topic here. Uh, the United Methodist Church, another one of your subjects that you've written on recently. Tell us what uh, you found out about that. Right. So the United Methodist Church across the country is just really going through um, kind of a split right now. As different churches decide whether or not they want to stay with the United Methodist Church or split off to join um, another overall group. And so that's kind of all hitting the fan here in Florida with a lawsuit. Um, So there are, it started with 106 churches filed last year who want to leave the United Methodist Church, but they don't want to go through kind of the process that the United Methodist Church has set forth for churches who want to disassociate. And so that lawsuit was filed, and since then, around 40 churches have dropped off, so there's around 70 left in this lawsuit, and uh, it all came around for the first hearings on a series of motions in February in Stark in Bradford County, so not the place you think would be the center stage for a statewide uh, lawsuit with 70 different UMC churches, but they um, hosted it there, and I mean, more than 100 representatives from these churches showed up, and 
the Bradford County uh, Courthouse is not the largest in the state. And so they moved around courtrooms to put us in their largest. But even then, you know, around half the people who showed up had to wait outside and watch on Zoom. So, I mean, definitely um, a big deal for the United Methodist Church in Florida. You know, it's sad, isn't it, that a lawsuit had to be filed? I mean, you think about not being able to mitigate the differences and maybe even have ways out that would be acceptable out of fellowship if they wanted to leave because of these issues. But it seems extreme that you'd have to file a lawsuit against the very people. I mean, even biblically speaking, that seems rather extreme. Did you find that to be the case? Well, I think it depends on who you talk to. You know, the churches would say it's not extreme because they're being, you know, handcuffed to the UMC. Their attorney, um, David Gibbs III, the attorney for the 70 churches, you know, called it an abusive prenuptial. You know, he's saying, you know, we can't get out of it. But, um, you know, the UMC church um, certainly doesn't think they're holding them ransom or anything. Um, You know, more than around 50 churches will be voted on in April to leave, and that's without a lawsuit. Um, 14 churches disassociated last year without a lawsuit, and three in 2021. You know, so that right there is around 70 churches who have left in the last three years without needing to resort to a lawsuit. But um, they think they have a, a case for it. So so when you're there and you're seeing all of that, what is the, what, what thoughts go to your mind? It sounds, it sounds intense because these people are fighting for what they believe in, what they have convictions for. And in, in a case like this, they're, they're fighting and defending what they believe is, is a biblical truth. And, and yet so many fellow believers in their ranks are kind of leaning into what would be something along the lines of the LGBTQ a thought process. And those two things don't line up well together, right? Right. It's certainly an interesting environment to be in, you know, where the connection of secular and sacred with churches coming into a secular courtroom. And uh, I mean, in America, I think that always you know, comes to mind. It's always an interesting mix because of our First Amendment and how it's going to interact. And that was really the um, the center of the motions that the arguments for both lawyers. But um, I don't know what I was thinking. I was thinking, I hope I get a seat in this smaller courtroom. That was my first worry. But even once inside, you know, it was a very civil, you know, it's called arguments, but they were very civil, the two attorneys. And they both said, you know, there's good people on both sides of this, but, you know, we are at a point where, uh, we're coming, you know, to the court, and um, it could still be settled outside. They've had negotiations back and forth and could continue them, so we'll see how it ends up. Oh, wow. So how was it left from the day you were there? What, what is the current status? Well, the current status is the exact same. So the judge, Judge George Wright, heard um, both lawyers give their arguments, um, attorney uh, Gregory Hearing for the UMC you know, basically argues that the civil court, you know, has no jurisdiction uh, because of the First Amendment. It's an intra-church dispute, and the courts really can't touch it. And of course, the attorney for the churches said, you know, this is basically a matter of Florida trust law. You know, you don't have to open the Bible or interpret the verse to be able to decide on this case. And the judge is still kind of debating how he's going to land. So these motions um, won't decide the entire lawsuit. It was a motion by the uh, UMC to dismiss this lawsuit. So if the judge agrees with the UMC, the lawsuit will be dismissed. But if he sides with the churches, then the lawsuit will move forward in his courtroom and they'll continue arguments on other motions. Is there a date that that could happen? Is there a, a planned date? There's not a planned date. The judge said he will take into consideration both sides, and he will make his decision. Uh, that was a little over um, a week ago, maybe right around two weeks, and I've been checking the docket. Just this morning, actually, I checked the docket, and I saw there's a new uh, heading. I got excited, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't his order. So we are kind of still waiting for the judge to see what he's going to decide. And either way, even if he rules for the UMC and says, I'm dismissing this lawsuit, 
the churches could always appeal to a higher court and or file an amended lawsuit. So mm-hmm. it really uh, could be going on for a while. Courts aren't the quickest. Now, when you're there, and I just can't imagine what that's like. It just, again, seems foreign to my way of thinking. But when you're there, were there people, let's say, from both sides, maybe proponents for one side or the other? Was there a presence of people like that, or was it all just officials? No, there were definitely lots of um, you know, lay folk, just members of churches or a church representative who were there who you know, aren't a lawyer, aren't an attorney, aren't part of the court system, or um, just there kind of to lend their support. But it was almost all for the churches. I don't think any um, anyone showed up for the UMC besides you know, their officials who were representing them. Um, so hmm. it was just really the, the church members of those churches wanting to split off. Mm-hmm. So it was really heavily on that side and not the other. Right, because I think for a church in the UMC who's staying in the UMC, it seems kind of odd to, you know, travel all the way to start to, you know, support the UMC um, when there are other churches who are splitting off. Something would be the first thing on their mind. I think it's always interesting to, I follow some of the Supreme Court rulings and, you know, when you think about even on the big Dobbs case last uh, June, when uh, they made the big decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, that decision had been heard months before. And this thing called the waiting, it's really difficult, isn't it? Absolutely. Especially as a journalist, I want to know when it's going to come out so I know (laughs) and complain my day on writing a story on whatever the judge decides. So it's just very much a waiting game and staying on top of it. Well, if you had to bet, what would you think is going to happen on it? I do not know. Uh, that was another thing I was thinking in the courtroom is I'm glad I'm not a judge. I could not do this job because uh, one lawyer comes up and I think that makes really good sense. And then the other lawyer comes up and I think, well, that makes really good sense. And he, you know, says some stuff to undermine the other lawyer, and then the other lawyer gets up and says some stuff to undermine the other one, and I think it would be the last person up I would probably <laughs> lean their direction. But it really does come down to uh, the judge deciding, is this an intra-church dispute or not? If it's an intra-church dispute you know, between the UMC and how they want to govern uh, their churches, then he's really restricted from ruling on it. By law, you know, Florida has um, laws in place that say, you know, judges can't touch it, you know, within the church. But if he decides, you know, this isn't really about church, you know, structure, but it's about Florida trust law, and he takes that side of the argument, then he may go forward. Hmm. So that's really what he has to decide. You know, it's a it's a tough one. I agree with you. This is hard, but I I think most of us that are maybe not so close to the situation, we we would always say, "Hey, I'm for the Bible. I'm for what the Bible says, and where these issues line up to the Word of God, then that's where I'm going to lean in." And sadly, for those that are are holding out for the uh, the UMC's, uh, de- you know, maybe putting these new uh, things in order, uh, homosexual uh, pastors, same-sex marriage, etc. All of all of the leaning in to the culture and the wokeness that's going on, uh, it, it becomes much easier, I think, for most believers to say, you know, I want to resist that. So uh, it's a sad to think that the, the churches couldn't just go ahead and secede and not have to do it in, in a legal term. But like you said, we'll have to wait and see. And I know waiting is never, never good, especially for journalists. You're wanting to get that story and and move on. Well, speaking of that, we've got just enough time. Tell us what it is you're working on this week. This week, I'm working on a lot of local Gainesville government issues. So uh, they had a recent audit by the state that didn't go too well for Gainesville. So there's still some ramifications from that. And there's also been a push for a east side sports complex. So I just wrote up a story on that today that's sitting around a thousand words in the editor's inbox. So we'll see what he has to say. Wow. Well, that's really going to be fun to see how this whole thing with Ben Sass, I, I thank you for 
filling us in from such an educated position because you've spent the time and got to be at a lot of these meetings uh, firsthand. That's the beauty about a reporter. Often it's just not reporting on it from afar, but you're actually at times, like you just said, either in the courtroom or in the meeting room where something is coming down and it can be a big thing that's coming down and you're right there to write on it. And uh, boy, journalism has changed. It used to have to wait uh, until the next day to read about it. Not so in this digital age, right? Nope. It's up pretty quick after the meeting or sometimes it's up even while the meeting's still going on. If It's one of their 12 hour long meetings. Wow. <laughs> that's crazy. I have pictures when I was a, a young man. I would um, love to watch this. I'm going to date myself here big time, man. But I watched George Reeves in the Superman, uh, and they would occasionally have reporters. Of course, Jimmy was a reporter, Jimmy Olsen. And you would see him after a big story heading to one of the fabled phone booths to call the editor and, you know, trying to get the scoop in on everybody else. And you guys have that ability to do it digitally immediately and get it on there. MainStreetDailyNews.com is where Seth Johnson is a reporter. And I know you guys are a growing staff doing big things and giving uh, the competition there in Gainesville a real run for the money. So congratulations on what you're doing. Thanks, Mike. And thanks for having me on. It was fun to talk. Seth, give us your email address. Yep. My email address is on the website. So you can get to the About Us tab and click on it and You'll see my face somewhere on there, and you can click on my name and see my email. And uh, we're pretty open. There's an editor email as well that they can send stuff to. And, of course, they can always comment on any story on our website. And, again, uh, you got a published newspaper, a print edition that's out now, and I believe it's on Wednesdays, right? That's right. Every Wednesday we have our print edition out, so we round up the stories from the past week and get it out there for people along with crosswords and other stuff like that to make it special. So it's been a fun addition. It's great and it's well done. Seth Johnson, my guest for these two segments. Thank you, buddy. And we'll be back in a moment with our third uh, segment coming up right here on Afternoons with Mike. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. Back again here on Afternoons with Mike and with me in the studio today is Dr. Roland Roberts II. And uh, this is kind of an interesting thing about Roland. He uh, is a presidential candidate. Now, you know, it's a couple of years away. And we know that the last election cycle, well, let's just say it drew a little bit of attention. How about that? It was pretty wild west out there in the uh, primaries. And now you're running. I don't know how many other uh, candidates are running in the primary for the Republican Party. But Dr. Roland Roberts, uh, you threw your hat in the ring just a couple of weeks ago, right? Or a couple of days ago, was uh, it? A couple months, yes. Oh, yeah, it's January been that long. Okay. Yes, yes. Wasn't sure of the exact date, but uh, you're officially now, and mm-hmm. I, you know I can't even imagine what that means. I can't imagine what kind of pressure that puts you under. What does that do? Well, it's a grueling schedule, but you know I enjoy it because it's something God called us to do, and uh, He's equipping us and, and enabling us to really move forward uh, boldly. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a great journey meeting a lot of people. Obviously, we will be in Iowa and New Hampshire, South Carolina, all the normal ones. I uh, was at a Capital Connections conference in Washington, D.C. over the last couple of days. So uh, there is a real stirring in America, uh, and it's not something that we're going to go back to the way things used to be, uh, and it's time for new leadership and fresh visions. And really, uh, I want to lead America firmly into the 22nd century. Hmm. Now, when you think about this whole thing of politics, I know hmm. it is, I, I listen, I've interviewed people that are both running and then those that are like uh, observers and, and maybe uh, people who have studied government, I think of people like uh, Craig Huey and uh, Dave Zanotti, who's on my program regularly. And we know that the the country that we have today, politically speaking, is a far cry from what our founders in mm-hmm. the nation 
ever dreamed it could be. It's kind of evolved into this two-party system. Mm -hmm. And what do you feel about that one up front? Well, I'll tell you, the founders made it very clear that there are three things that you have to watch for or our great experiment, uh, our constitutional republic will be destroyed. Uh, National debt was one. uh, Foreign alliances was another. Obviously, we're failing on both. And the third was the uh, failure of religion and morality, which is the biggest. They said, if you even mess up on the others, that's the one you have to get right. And so that's one of the main reasons I'm running is on America 2.0, we need to be one nation under God. I have to bring back, welcome God back to America. We have to acknowledge him once again for his mercy and his blessings to be on this great country. Now, I think when people hear this and your website, I had a chance to look over your website and it is chock full of uh, what I think would be these kind of American values that are historical. They are biblically based uh, values that I think most Americans, this is the thing, sir, I'd Mm -hmm. I'd have to say about this. Uh, it, It seems to me that this division in America, which is so obvious, yet when you talk to people that are on the street people in the, let's say the flyover states, let's say the rural communities of even some of the blue states that are around. It seems that no one likes the way things are going right now. That seems to be the consensus. Yet you get into an election and you wonder how in the world did all of that talk happen? And then election time we have people that are just so radically different. What What is your answer for it's that? It's ironic that no one is actually happy with the way America is today. The left isn't even happy with the way it is today. It's not left enough. Uh, the conservatives are not happy with the way America is. The centrists are not happy with it because they're sick of the extremes. Uh, there is a war on God and anything related to God today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not even things that are about God. People with no faith recognize uh, that and, and need leaders that at least acknowledge God, even if they choose not to, uh, because they know that it is better for the societies. Every nation on earth understands that. That's why many of them mock uh, a lot of the issues that we think are so big and that consume the media today in America. So, you know, trans rights and and the number of genders. I think we're up to 273 genders, right? That they say there are. Well, they they put the little plus out there, you know, on on the. the LGBTQ plus plus plus. I think that's just like a variable in mathematics that can stand for just about anything. That's know. right. That's right. And so they keep adding to it. But, you know, we have to have a president at this time that is just as strong in prayer as they are in policy. And we, America needs that. And I think it may get a lot worse before it gets better. Uh, but uh, my belief is that the 2024 presidential election will be a referendum on God. Uh, in America. 81%, according to the most recent Gallup poll in 2021, said that 81% of Americans do believe in God. Uh, That's actually down from 98% when it first began in 1972. But uh, I do believe that things, we are at a crucible uh, in this country. Now that brings up a question that I've long wanted to ask people at the level where you're now uh, attempting to be uh, running at the highest level in the United States for the presidency. Polling. I mean, we hear it. We hear talk about polls and I'm up in the polls. I'm down in the polls. What are your thoughts about the current American polling system? Well, they were completely irrelevant in 2016. Uh, they weren't very relevant in 2020 and they certainly won't be relevant in 2024 either. And I was speaking with one of the, the actually the grandfather of, of conservative think tanks in the country. And uh, everyone is searching for uh, what does the new electoral cycle and election cycles look like? How do mm-hmm. you how do you navigate this? And the truth is, they don't know. But what I know, as coming from a business and entrepreneurial background, is that if if the little guy wants to beat the big guy, the little company wants to beat the big company, you have to change the rules of the game. You don't beat a taxi company, uh, the taxi industry, by starting a taxi company. You beat the taxi industry by starting an Uber, and we have done that over and over and over. And the same rules apply in politics. Do you feel that our climate right now, I mean, can that kind of entrepreneurial spirit exist? It's the only thing that can. Uh, and there is no such thing as business as usual in politics. Uh, and, and if you look at even our current elected officials, that kind of uh, illustrates that point better than anything. Yeah. Anything is possible. 
Well, it seems to be that they're trying to take us into land that has never been walked before. Right. And I, I think a lot of our relatives would be rolling in their graves right now if they knew what has become of America and the kind of statements that are out there. And even the, the decisions or lack thereof about the border. And I know that's uh, from a, you know, a person that's said what you've said on your website, the values that you hold. Uh, you have to have strong feelings about America's safety. So talk about yeah. that for a moment. Yeah, well, a lot of what I've done over the last several years was focused on uh, our national sovereignty and on our defense, uh, even uh, into researching artificial intelligent weapons and defense systems and things of that nature and cybersecurity. Uh, so, you know, we have a plan to re uh, restore the illegal immigrants that are currently in the United States, a seven year uh, path to citizenship. Uh, but not to reward them, we are taking all of the current legal applicants and we'll process those within 12 months. So we reward those who did it the right way. We have to address who is in our borders today. One, we have to know who they are uh, and having us, but we're not going to reward them. So they have to wait seven years because of how they come in, but we have to secure the border at all costs, whatever it takes. I mean, if we have to mobilize the military, that's their job is to defend the United States of America. And so as commander in chief or in my you know, what I would view myself as even a servant in chief for the American people, but I would direct the military to do whatever we must do, work with the, the governors. And if they won't be worked with in certain states, uh, we will have to take control and secure the borders. But you have to do all those things in tandem. It does no good to secure it if you don't take care of the 30, 35 million illegal immigrants that are in the United States today. I know it. It's just overwhelming how many have come in. And the truth of it is, I don't think anyone knows exactly how many have come in. No, I, they say 11 million, but that number yeah. uh, doesn't even add up. If you take the ones from 2001 to yeah. 2021, uh, that number alone is 30 million. Well, that, that's a pretty large city right there. It is. In fact, it's the second largest uh, state in America, uh, mm. in America with population uh, when you take uh, that, those numbers. Literally, it's so, so really it becomes uh, at least plausible that you could see a motivation why some of the, of the progressive left would want to just have this no border, no security system like a free border. Come on over. Right. Walk on over. You know, uh, you can see why, because obviously you're building a fan base, if you will, so yeah. to speak. Right. Yeah, well, you know, I, but even a lot of uh, legal immigrants don't like the idea of illegal immigration. Uh, it, once again, talking about n no one is happy w with America. Even the, the legal immigrants aren't happy with our immigration. The illegal immigrants aren't happy with our immigration. Uh, you have to just go by what is foundationally principally right or the natural law of God. Mm -hmm. Heaven itself has borders right. and gates and there's a way <laughs> to well get said. in. Right. I mean, every he established borders of nations. And when you don't respect the rule of law, and and then uh, then really you the, all the other laws aren't uh, needing to be respected either. And so that's why we see that it's not just immigration that certain parties have trouble with; it's everything down the line. Mm -hmm. Now you're up against a fairly well-known individual that's already declared for the presidency as well. And I think he probably beat you by a couple of months in terms of declaring them. Of course, mm -hmm. talking about President Trump. I know a lot of your friends, your your advisors, they would have, uh, without a doubt, like maybe challenged you and say, are you sure you want to go through all of this? Are you sure you want to subject yourself to this? What's your answer? Well, that was my biggest consideration. But ultimately, uh, whenever I felt the call of God to do this, and, and I knew that he would anoint me to uh, as I obeyed him in the, in that calling, uh, then really the opposition never becomes an issue. I mean, even if it was David versus Goliath, David never saw Goliath the way everyone else saw Goliath. Everyone else was scared. Everyone else didn't want to go against him because he talked a big game. He was a big man. He, you know, had had, had a long, illustrious track record in, in mm -hmm. war. And, um, and David had been tending sheep. Not exactly the normal resume comparison, uh, but he saw the anointing in the hand of God and the Lord was with him. And, uh, you know, in my case, uh, you know, it was ironic because how all this happened was I was already on the working with South Sudan and the president of South Sudan and several countries in Africa. Uh, in fact, the, I was uh, there in November, just a, a few months ago, and um, uh, they're ranked 180 out of 180 on the world corruption scale. OK, the worst in the world. They're worse than Ayatollah of Iran, than, than, than Kim Jong-un of North Korea. And that's where the Lord had called me to serve. Uh, there was a moment where we did not think I was going to be coming home. My life was in jeopardy. And, um, and so that moment I, I surrendered again to the Lord and said, okay, 
if this is what you have for me, I surrender to that. I found it was easier for me to surrender to potential death than it was to surrender to do this because your brain starts thinking of, well, how, and what about this? And what about that? And then within, within a couple hours, he had already dissipated that because it was literally, you're either going to believe that God's word or you're not mm-hmm. either. He can do anything and anything is possible with God, or you don't believe that. That's really true. And at the end of the day, we got to believe he's God because he is God. That's, <laughs> That's right. right. He makes no mistakes. He, he does. Now there's a, only a couple of minutes left here. I've got with you. Uh, first of all, your dad, he was part of the announcing of your candidacy, and he himself is a state senator in West Virginia and also a pastor. Yes. And uh, so I know he's got to be vested greatly in what you're doing right now. What are his thoughts about what you're doing as president? You know, it has been a joy for our family to come together around this. Uh, I helped him with his last campaign last year. He got reelected. And uh, he's now in the majority whip uh, with a supermajority in the state of West Virginia. And uh, the educator has the Christian school, the pastor of the church, same one for 37 years. Uh, so he, great leadership. My dad has a, uh, his gifts are administrative. So it's a different type of leadership than what I am. And that's actually one of the biggest differences between me and DeSantis and some of the others. They're different leaders have different types of gifts. And that's the biggest difference between Trump and I actually mm-hmm. uh, as well. That's why he was right for 2016. He is not right for 2024. And so I believe for this nation and where we are, where we are in the world uh, and what's at stake. Wow. That's uh, you got a big job ahead of you. I know anyone would say that right now, but about any position at right. all in this whole thing. I mean, right. it's, it's a it's really going to be a. Um, an interesting couple of years that are awaiting us. One final question. Got to ask this. I know that you were criticized by a lot of people. A lot of news stories picked up over when you made your announcement for president. Your wife apparently fainted. She did. Yeah. As you know, she was five months pregnant. And that's apparently common uh, once you hit the five month mark. Uh, we had had her tested. Her doctors tested her three days prior to make sure she was physically well up to walking the Capitol. And, and she had exerted a lot of influence. They even had timed out snacks and certain uh, electrolyte drinks and so forth for her. And uh, she just exerted too much pressure. Her blood pressure uh, uh, dropped. Mm. And uh, but the capital uh, medical team was was right there. You know, the 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 what they were saying uh, and it was the the the, the leftists were saying that uh, I did not respond fast enough. And uh, of course, everyone there thought it was handled beautifully, but uh, it was four seconds. And uh, I, I really, and of course she was behind me. Mm-hmm. So it even took me, you know, one or two of those seconds is deciding, do I stop the press conference What to see what's going on? What's the distraction? Uh, or do I stay focused? So, uh, but there was movement all around me, state troopers and so forth. So when I did finally look, then I had to process what I'm looking at. That took about a second. And then the, the, the fifth second, I'm there. I was the one that helped her up. But, you know, of course that just showed uh, how threatened they are by, uh, by even the announcement. And it really, in my, in our minds, it showed us that God's hand is all over this campaign, and it has been ever since that day. Well, the good news, your your wife's fine, right? She's fine. The baby is fine. Yeah. They, her doctors even analyzed it for two days, how she fell and everything. And uh, we're just, we're, we're grateful she hasn't had any other, you know, incidents, and he's growing uh, strong and healthy. And you've got a boy that's on the way. R3. R3. Uh, R3. <laughs> All right. That's good. Well, thank you for coming. We wish you the best. And I know this is going to be an interesting two-year period, probably the most interesting of your lifetime, without a doubt. I don't think that's saying something that's a stretch at all. Right. But uh, we wish you the best, Roland, and thank you for coming up. And Roland Roberts, it's RolandRoberts.com, right? That's it. That's it. R-O-L-L-A-N Roberts.com, if you'd like more information. And that's about all of our time for today. We thank you for joining us right here on Afternoons with Mike. 